This is Dr. Jose Saldivar with the First Year Experience Podcast. Uh, joining me today, I have... Uh, my name is uh, Ernesto Ramirez. I'm a faculty member with Mexican-American Studies. I've been here on this campus uh, in one capacity or another as a student, staff, or faculty since 1995. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's been some time. So you know the campus well. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen it grow and I've seen it develop from yeah. uh, a campus of around 14,000 students up to where we are now with uh, 28,000 plus. Yeah. Um, I've invited, uh, and Ernesto's being, I think, a little humble, I've invited Dr. Ramirez here to uh, to talk about um, an issue that has actually come up in, in previous podcasts, uh, imposter syndrome. And so I thought given Ernesto's... Um, research background um, and his knowledge of the campus, his uh, his extensive knowledge of our students and our student body, I thought he'd be a perfect guest to talk about this issue. And so, Ernesto, tell our listeners, you know, in a few words, what exactly is imposter syndrome? Well, what, what happens is you have uh, an internal feeling, you know, that you just do not belong in the situation where you find yourself. Uh, in the sense of academics, you know, it is individuals at an institution, whether it be students or even faculty, mm-hmm. uh, feeling that they're just waiting to be found out. They're waiting to be caught, you know, that maybe I do not belong here. And it's not always a, a sense of that I don't have the ability to do the work that I'm here, that I'm here doing. Yeah. Um, but just that maybe I'm not the right fit. That's always a possibility. Or that uh, I got here by luck, yeah. not by my own graces, you know, by my own hard work. You know, and, and we've all experienced this before, you know, where you know that you are capable of doing the work, mm-hmm. but you're wondering, why did I get the chance to be here to do it? Yeah. yeah in, in a general sense, that is the, the syndrome that we're talking about. So I'm going to ask you, you know, from personal experience, you know, as, as uh, you said, you've, you've been here in some capacity or at the student um, faculty member. Um, have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? number of times, yes. Uh, starting off first as a student. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll remember my first experience as a graduate student. Um, I was a, a graduate student in criminal justice. And this, this feeling of not belonging here in this particular situation started with uh, my very first class in the very first semester where I was very capable of doing the reading, I was very capable of doing the writing, but looking around the room at the other four to six people that were in these classes with me and recognizing their own abilities, mm-hmm. I started to wonder, why am I here amongst them? Yeah. yeah and so, yeah, I, I felt this imposter syndrome. I felt like I was just waiting for the shoe to fall, you know, and everybody's going <laughs> to discover that I didn't belong in the room with them. Yeah. Um, but it worked its way through. You yeah. know, it worked its way through um, one through time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the unfortunate incident around all of it is that you suffer in silence. You know, it's not something you go and you talk to the, the person sitting in class with you and say, hey, you belong, but I don't. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> and, and so you said, you said it, it, it sorts itself out you know, over time. What, what happened? Did anything happen along the way that kind of uh, reminded you that like you deserve to be here? or um, Because time is one thing, but I imagine whether it's the coursework, whether it's the conversations you have in class, I imagine there are things that can maybe reaffirm your, the imposter syndrome or you know, maybe change your attitude a little bit or, or remind you that, you know what, you do belong here. Did anything in particular happen that, that 
that changed your your view? I'd have to say that it was the support of family, really. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we happen to know about imposter syndrome, you look at studies through uh, psychology, is that this is something that impacts people who are high achievers. Mm -hmm. They're doing very well. Um, and when you look at the cultural breakdowns, you tend to find that it is amongst individuals who come from a cultural background where there is an extreme, I'm going to say, sense of pressure on the achievement mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not necessarily an extreme pressure to share your concerns okay, where imposter syndrome is the strongest. One of the great things about being who we are, you mm -hmm. know, Hispanic or Latino, Mexicano, however you want to term you know, your own identity as a part of our culture, is that we have a really good family connection. And so it wasn't in the classroom where I received the, the sort of support that I needed to get over this imposter feeling, but it was through discussions with my own father. Yeah, and my father having, I'm gonna say the courage to share, he had some of those exact same misgivings as he went through college. Yeah. You know, as he worked through his own you know, uh, graduate program. And so having these conversations with him on a weekly basis, which is something we still do today, you know, I was able to get over the fact that, yes, uh, I don't feel like I belong here, but yes, I do belong here. Yeah. You know, and, and so it was really family. It was father that helped with this. Now, I, I know your father's story. Um, your father, um, military veteran, correct? That's correct. Um, uh, Longtime educator. That's right. Um, also has a doctorate, number of degrees. And so... For you, th that it sounds like a tremendous resource. Having an individual like that that you can go to, you can share your your maybe your insecurities or your concerns, that self doubt that maybe you have. A lot of our students don't have that, or at least they don't have maybe you know. Especially if I think of our first generation students, right? And so they're the first in their in their family to go to college. Go to college. Um, the institution feels and, and sometimes I think looks like a, like a foreign land to them. Right. What advice do you have for them? Or, and, and maybe, you know, even now as, a, as an educator and you have a lot of these students, what do you tell them? How do you encourage them? Um, so it, it starts off from my own position professionally as, as the faculty member to talk about these kinds of things that are going on around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do mention it in class. Um, in some cases, I'm very fortunate because of the content material that I teach. You know, I teach the psychological issues in Mexican-American communities. Hence, it leads itself to this naturally. <laughs> yeah. um, but also in my uh, introduction to Mexican-American studies, we talk about these issues. Um, thankfully, when I was teaching Learning Framework, I, was, I had that opportunity to do it there as well. But, but what I suggest to our students is to develop a relationship with faculty and staff here at the university. You know, when you have that opportunity to share these concerns with somebody who has maybe gotten to a position that you want to get to or that you aspire to mm -hmm. or you feel has made it in our society, then when you have that relationship, you can, you can break down those barriers that say, I can't talk about these issues. Yeah. And it affords you that opportunity to actually get in there, have that discussion with them and to normalize this behavior or this feeling. Yeah, and, and that's that's probably the greatest sense right there is once you feel that it's normal, then it's something you can deal with. As long as it's something that, that needs to be dealt with in private mm -hmm. as, a, as an issue, maybe a feeling of guilt or shame, mm -hmm. then we never get it out there. We never have yeah. those conversations. Yeah. Do you think it's important that students know that they're not alone? Most definitely. You know, 
again, this imposter syndrome is something we, we suffer with in silence. Mm-hmm. You know? And I want students to know, I want everybody to know, this, this is normal. This is something that we all tend to go through, maybe in various degrees, you know, some yeah. people more than others. But at one point or another, we find ourselves sitting in a, in a meeting or we find ourselves sitting in a, in a classroom teaching or in a classroom learning. Or maybe it's that first job that we get, you know, it's a part of our career line that we've waited all our lives to get to. And it's sort of like, man, I don't belong here. Yeah. It's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. And, and if you get that out, if you, if you recognize that it's not something to be done in private, but it's something to be shared in public, there's going to be somebody out there who's got a wealth of knowledge and information and experience who can share with you their own struggles through that mm-hmm. and show you, you know, you're on the right path. Yeah. You know? Just the fact that you're questioning, I tell my students, shows that you're on the right path. Yeah, yeah. Do your students, um, because you 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 engage in these conversations, right, and you encourage them to share what they're experiencing or how they're feeling, what do you hear back from them? Do they say or do they feel like there are a lot of spaces on campus where they can share, where they can... Because I, I think you're, you're right, right? It's It's something we suffer with in silence. And sometimes the last thing we want to do is to tell anybody, I don't know that I belong here, or right? right? If we're trying to prevent, as you said, the shoe from dropping, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we want to immediately go out and, you know, advertise it to the world. <laughs> so for our students and, and, you know, the conversations you have, do they feel like there are a lot of those safe spaces where they can share those feelings? I would say that right now, what I've heard from my students, not that there are several locations or several mm-hmm. places within their experience where they can do this, but that the spaces that they do have are very rich and open and allow for these conversations to occur. You know, and so these, these occur through student organizations for some. Mm-hmm. It occurs through the classroom, okay, especially when they get a faculty member like myself or yourself who are willing to bring these up in the formal classroom setting, you know, which then allows them to then bring it to an informal but also in those experiences where they have developed a relationship with their faculty members or their staff members. Yeah. You know, and you meet with your students. I've done the same thing. You know, I've had lines of students outside the hallway <laughs> waiting to meet with me yeah. on appointments. Yeah. And those become the spaces where they can sit down, they can share, and they can open up and have that conversation. And when we do it earlier on in the semester rather than later on in the semester, you find them coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, to repeat these experiences and stories and to, show, to tell you, you know, how things are going for them, how it's developing, evolving, and how they're feeling better about certain things. And, and then when you have that opportunity to follow them from semester to semester to semester, and you see them three, four, five, six semesters, you see them at graduation, they're telling you how, oh, remember the first semester I did? Oh, I, I, I'm going to graduate school now. I can't wait. You know? Yeah. And that's wonderful. Yeah, so those spaces do exist. Yeah. But it requires... I'm going to say more effort from us, you know, to develop more spaces for them. From us meaning the institution, from us meaning faculty? I'm meaning the institution. I mean, as as faculty, there's only, I mean, we're just like our students. We're limited in time. Mm -hmm. We're limited in that resource. Um, And I think those of us who are interested in making this happen are already trying to do this as much as possible. You know, I, I don't run into many faculty who do this kind of thing who say, you know, I, I've got like another 40 hours, you know, and <laughs> I should be using it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's an institutional uh, effort at this point. So if we, um, if we could, if we could imagine what that would look like, what would you like to see? 
What kind of institutional commitment would you like to see? That, that at least where, where we feel like there are more of those spaces where those rich conversations can occur, where students can ask and, and reflect openly without fear about their sense of belonging here at the university. I think it starts with uh, maybe a series of professional development sessions for our faculty. Okay. You know, those who have uh, this continuous relationship with students through their programs. Um, and I think this professional development looks a little bit more like um, humanizing education. You know, we, we all know our topic material. Right? Mm-hmm. We have a, a series of degrees that tells us this. Yeah. Um, we all have the experience of learning. You know, again, through the formal educational structure, we have a series of degrees that show this. And, and many of us have developed the methods of teaching our subject material. Now, whether that was trial and error and things worked out great, or there was an opportunity to get some professional development in that and it's worked for us, that's great. Mm-hmm. But we don't have anything around us through our doctoral programs usually or in professional development at the institution that says, this is how you relate as a person to your student. Yeah. And I think we need that. You know, so you look at um, Mexican-American studies, or you look at educational studies, you look at psychological studies, and you look at the impact of humanizing uh, the experience between people of various levels of power, mm-hmm. you know, and breaking down those barriers of power to show that we're all people, humans, uh, you find that the relationships are enriched. Okay? So when we think about teaching, and we think about going out on an edge and saying, Look, I'm, I'm just as vulnerable as you are. And yes, I understand there's a power differential here. I have a degree. I'm, I'm the head of the class, but I'm a person. You know, and I need to sit down and I need to connect with you as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, I'm still going to hold you to the standard of the academics. I'm still going to expect you to learn and read and struggle on, on growing as a student. Yeah. But I want you to know that you can come talk to me <clears throat> as a person. I think that's what... Our institution needs to focus on yeah. in order to get to that level. Now, whether we build centers out of this, where we actually build physical spaces where we allow for these kinds of interactions to occur, I don't know if that's really necessary. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'll meet with a student at a coffee shop here on campus. You know, I'll meet with a student for lunch if mm-hmm. that's what they want. Um, I'll meet with the students most often in the center where I work. You know, from yeah. the Center for Mexican American Studies. So I try to meet with students in their spaces, not my own space. Yeah. Um, but it, but again, I think it comes down to that humanizing aspect. Yeah. You know, uh, Laura Rendon's work, you know, where she talks about you know having a love for your students. Yeah. I think that that creates that opportunity for students to get beyond those fears, and to understand that what I'm feeling, this imposter syndrome, you know, my faculty member experienced it maybe not in the same way I did, but in these other areas. Yeah. yeah. You know, but. It really comes down to that loving your student and, and having the courage to say, hey, I'm just as vulnerable as you are. That's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Um, do you talk to faculty about this? I mean, is this a conversation? That, no, I, I know I, I've known you for, right. for quite some time, and, and we've had those conversations, and I think pedagogically, I think we share a lot of, a lot of similarities. We have these relationships with our students. Um, but, I, you know, I remember even within the learning framework program you're early on it was difficult to have those conversations <laughs> with our colleagues yeah How, have you found it difficult to have those conversations with some of your other colleagues i have uh, yeah. in a number of locations you know um 
I would say when I started out in criminal justice, you know, again, it was suffering silence. It was, <laughs> these, these were my thoughts, these yeah. were my experiences, and yet working with my colleagues who, who are established in that program, you know, it's like, you no, know, you don't go in that direction. This is how you teach at a university, and this is what you do. Yeah. Um, so, so the conversations were difficult there. Um, moving on into you know, UNIV learning framework, again, it was sort of like established individuals, you know, this is how we need to do things, and, and, yeah. and we're doing this. And it was never about, oh, we want to stifle our students. It was always about we're trying to do what's best for our students. Mm-hmm. But it was about believing that this one avenue was the only best way to help our students. And so, yeah, yeah those conversations have been very difficult. Um, I have found them easier in interdisciplinary spaces, okay, such as with Mexican-American studies, where we happen to have faculty who are coming to us from philosophy and history, you know, literature. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it is that they're feeling stifled within their own disciplinary areas and they're looking for other means by which they can connect with students. And so when they come to this space, they are already open to the conversation. Maybe not in particular what I have to say, yeah. but the fact is they are open to dialogue. Yeah. yeah. And so it's become easier there. And I'd say in, in gender and women's studies program, it'd be the same thing, you know, where I just joined now as an affiliate this, this year, that you have groups of people here who are willing to have conversations about topics and they may not necessarily feel the same way you feel, but they're willing to listen and yeah. have that dialogue. But again, within the disciplines, it's it's a very difficult thing to have. And again, that's us, that's the institution, that's our fault. You know, yeah. We graduate through doctoral programs which are very narrow and focused. You know, And again, it's about how to do research within our particular disciplines rather than how do I connect with my students. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some issues to be had here, you know, uh, dialogue about, you know, how do we teach doctoral students who are becoming the next generation of faculty? How do we provide faculty development? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do we incorporate faculty and staff as one body? You know, we we typically have separations between the two. Yeah. uh, Even though we're obviously after the same task, and that is to help our students. You know, none of this comes through very well for us. You know, but, but we need to figure out what the institution needs to do in order to make these things continue to happen in the future. Because if we don't, you know, we, we will end up losing our students in a number of ways. I mean, yeah. obviously we'll graduate them through the system, but we will never connect with them as people. Um, and, and that can have an impact for us as far as maybe later on we start talking about enrollments for master's programs, doctoral programs, especially when a student finds out how much time they have to commit to getting these kinds of degrees. Yeah. And it's sort of like, wait a minute, I have to be with you, but I really don't even feel comfortable talking with you. Yeah, I, yeah. I have no connection with you, right? Yeah. I have no relationship with you. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's a critical point, right? If we want to grow, especially some of our undergraduate programs and definitely our, our graduate programs, right? It, it, it's much easier when we have connections with our students and students feel safe coming to us, uh, sharing their concerns, sharing their aspirations. Um, I think what, what you've said, again, is incredibly powerful. And um, I, I hope that, that maybe this is the beginning of a larger dialogue um, about how we serve our students and about creating those spaces where they can share their concerns, they can share their, a lot of times, insecurities. I know one of the podcasts we recorded a few months ago, we had two first-year students, first-semester students, and both of them, one of them had a, a, a successful semester, the other not as successful or not as successful at the, as the young man had hoped for. But 
neither one of them said they felt like they belonged um, for a number of reasons. And so, you know, I, I don't think the, those instances are few and far between. I think there are a lot of students that feel like that, and I'm, I'm sure right. you can attest to that. And so I think creating that space for that dialogue becomes incredibly critical um, as we look to grow the university. Um, wow. Um, no. Any final thoughts? Well, I, I think we need to include our students in more of what we do as an institution. I mean, yes, we serve them, and yes, we have yeah. organizations for them, and obviously we have an entire division of academic affairs that serves students' needs. But what I mean is we make decisions all the time about curriculum. Mm -hmm. We make decisions about pedagogy. How are we going to interact in our class and provide information and share information and learn from each other? But we don't often bring them in to say, what do you think about how we should design the syllabus? Yeah, no, we don't. We don't, we don't bring them in for these kinds of discussions, and yet that has a major impact on them. Yeah. You know, we don't tend to ask students, did you learn what you wanted to learn? Yeah. And yet we believe satisfied at the end of the, the four-year program because they've obtained their degree with us and they've moved on. Yeah, I, I think we, if we want to really move beyond, I'm going to say, providing a service to a student and servicing students, we need to bring them into more of our decision-making processes. And I think when that happens, we'll get less students feeling that they don't belong in the system because it truly will be representing what they need and want. Well said. Um, wow, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate so this. this concludes this episode of the First Year Experience podcast. Uh, please visit us on SoundCloud and iTunes and uh, tune in for our next episode. Thanks. Bye-bye.